Hey, this is Jason, Jason Akwili, coming to you from the City of Angels and the Filipino-American Chamber of Commerce Hollywood, where we support artists, creatives, and businesses in the entertainment industry. You can find out more about us at FACCHollywood.org. And if you like what we're doing, we're always grateful for your continued support, always looking for new volunteers, and always looking for new members. Today, I'd like to welcome you to our very first podcast episode. Topic of today is film distribution what films succeed in the market your host for today mr edwin santos he's an actor producer and board member with the chamber along with mrs faye coons she's an author screenwriter and the president of the los angeles philippine international film festival our guest for today mr dean fernando of romero pictures and mr walter boholst of showbiz consultants first i want to thank our sponsors facc hollywood and the LA Philippine International Festival, along with JasonARealtor.com. He's your real estate agent for the LA metro area. Without further delay, kick back, relax, grab your favorite beverage, and enjoy the show. I'm an actor, I'm a film producer with 20 years of entertainment industry experience. Um, you can see myself on Funny or Die. I did a film called Blue Dream with uh, Dominic Twain uh, and some other folks. Uh, as a film producer, which I think more people know me as, uh, I have produced um, five feature films, three of them with Cinema Epoch, which is an uh, art house uh, distribution, independent distribution company that's been around since 2004, I believe. Uh, I've done three films with them, two specifically, uh, Mad Cowgirl, uh, in, two, in 2006, with uh, Sarah Lassay, James Zavall, Devin Odessa, Jason Simmons, and Walter Koenig. And then the last film I did for them was Samurai Cop 2, Deadly Vengeance. Cool movie, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> Samurai Cop 2, Deadly Vengeance, uh, and, uh, which is on Tubi and as Revenge of the, the Samurai Cop on Amazon Prime Video. And that one stars uh, the original cast from the first film back in 91. And uh, also, it has Bai Ling and Tommy Wiseau from the room. Um, wow, I, you know, I didn't know that. That's really cool. Tommy Wiseau? Yeah. All right. Me. Man, that's cool. Uh, so, I'm also the founder of the Filipino Hollywood Actors Panel. We are celebrating our fifth, uh, fifth year. Uh, we started that with, uh, I got the idea from back in 98 when I became an actor. I didn't see a lot of representation of Filipino American actors anywhere, uh, but I started, I, I the panel started with Philam Creative, which is a perfect uh, fit. Uh, and then it's been going on with uh, other organizations. And now it's currently with the Filipino American Chamber of Commerce, which I'm also a board member with uh, for the last three years. So we have some great uh, uh, events coming up. And a little bit about the chamber itself. Uh, uh, we are a, uh, we unite and empower creative Filipino American professionals and businesses in the entertainment industry towards mainstream influence and exposure, bridging professional careers and businesses through, through facilitating networks and resources, uh, opening opportunities and promoting collaborations. Um, and that's it for me. Uh, my next, uh, who's the person who's sharing the hosting duties with us uh, this evening is Faye Coons, and she is a post post poet, author, freelance, sports writer, and movie critic. She's the founding member of the Women Writers in Media 
uh, women in the Philippines, author of children's books on Filipino and Asian folk tales, and playwriter of The Last Days of Jose Rizal, The Rainbow Princess, and Veracruz. She's the founder and board member and president of the Los Angeles Philippine <laughs> International Film Festival. Um, and what- Feels like I need to applaud. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think- kids, guys. <laughs> professionals in film tours with constant annual screenings events and workshops. Le Cliff provides charitable scholarships in a forum where Filipino artists can be recognized for their gifts, have open discussions about their movies, and connect with industry professionals for understanding on production, distribution, representation, and acquirement. And speaking of distribution, that leads me to our guests. Awesome Yay. segue. What a segue. <laughs> um, let's see. So, our first guest is Dean Fernando. He is the Vice President of Acquisitions and Distribution at Romero Pictures. Uh, he was a former Distribution, Acquisition, and Development Executive for Tricoast Worldwide and art, an art house label Rock Salt Releasing, where he represented, acquired, and helped distribute titles like the Zuhiro Soda's Inland Sea, Ruby's 2019 Streaming Film of the Year, and Numa Ferrer's S. Uh, South by Southwest's favorite and buzz film, Jezebel, distributed theatrically and digitally by Array and Netflix. Uh, he, he was also a motion picture market research executive at OTX, Online Testing Exchange, for Fox, Universal, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, and Paramount Pictures from 2004 to 2008, and a filmmaker at Cinephile Video. He has collaborated uh, in projects with DJ Shadow, Cheech and Chong, and the Bruce Lee Foundation Enterprises. Wow, wow sounds like I did something in my life. Wow. <laughs> Woo -hoo! You? You All right. Whoa. <laughs> wow. What do I do now? Our, our next panelist is Walter Bohols. Uh, he is a Florida licensed entertainment attorney and founder of Showbiz Consultants. A consult Wait, he's a lawyer? Amazing. <laughs> Already I'm beat. Don't hold it against me. A consulting company specializing in business affairs for filmmakers, distributors, sales agents, and entertainment companies, including Paramount Pictures, AMC Networks, and XYZ Films, uh, which they distributed by bus and on the Great job. company. Uh, he's also a screenwriter and filmmaker for Voodoo Possession, starring Danny Trejo. He is the founder of Philan Creative, a nonprofit advancing Filipino American mm -hmm. careers in entertainment. And you can find more about his filmmaking and consulting at waterfilmmaker.com and showbizconsultants.com. Right on, Walter. Walter Bohos. Right on. I'm a fan already. All right. <laughs> so no, we, that's will, cool. um, we will begin our panel just like this. Uh, we will, the first hour and a half will be. Uh, uh, the host asking quite our questions to our guests and then the last 30 minutes will be all of you watching all of you watching and to place your questions either you can the chat. chat oh the chats would be better just just write them in the chat and we'll uh we'll read, read them out to them if cool. you're watching our facebook live stream uh post your questions right there as well and we will, we have someone uh looking out for your questions too um we'll be we'll be also 
uh, putting some stuff on Twitter as well. You can ask questions there if you want to. Don't give me a hard time. Uh, you can post questions there on Twitter. Uh, so uh, let's see. And then, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much the housekeeping at this point. We'll tell you more later at the end. I saw uh, someone named Neil on there. Hi, Neil. Thanks for coming through. Hi, Neil. Neil. <laughs> so, um, uh, so Faye, you would like to ask the first question? You want to start off? Yes. Yes. So, so I'd like to direct the question to Dean first. You know, how did you become a film distributor? And you think it is kind of tough these days to be a film distributor? And why did you get into it? Um, well, actually, you know, film distribution wasn't something that was like, you know, I think like most people that, um, for me anyways, that go, that come to town and into, into LA and Hollywood, um, it's generally seeking a creative uh, path. And um, through that, I, as was mentioned in the intro, I started working for, um, actually it wasn't mentioned, but I, I started working for Nielsen. That was like the first job that I had. And then I found out that I actually was doing pretty well uh, on the executive track, not so much the creative mm -hmm. track. And um, you know, you live out here, you have to do multiple things to survive as of, as with now. And it just led me to that direction. And, and um, it ended up that I am working as a coordinator for Tricoast and um, you know, working there day in and day out. They saw that I knew about films and cinema and they knew that I worked for Cinephile. So they knew that I had a certain level of taste. And before I knew it, I was working with the acquisitions team and using all the previous experience that I'd had, um, you know, in the in, in Nielsen and OTX in terms of the um, uh, the market research. So I had some market research background along with, um, you know, a little bit of taste making with that. Then I'd also had worked with, you know, um, some music video. So, I mean, with it, I just had a, 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 a you know, a component of, of all these different aspects of the business that led me to the executive track because I knew how to communicate with all all departments somewhat. Um, but um, in terms of the second part of the question was, what do I think about what's going on with distribution? Was that, was that what you said, Faye? Yeah, is it tough nowadays? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, um, it's always a tough business, but I think even more so now, um, you know, because of the pandemic, all the traditional aspects of how the distribution route has come about is, is different and changed. You know, um, we've, we've, seen a, we've seen a lean towards the online distribution aspect of it, the digital distribution of it, and less of theatrical because that's closing. But yeah, for sure, I mean, it's a different world than it was maybe even like five years ago, even like six months ago because of the pandemic. Um, so yeah, it's and but, but that's the thing with distribution. It's always it's always changing in terms of the trends and what's out there. But there are certain aspects of the business that are always kind of stay the same, you know, in terms of the genres and, and that sort. So I hope that answered the question. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna go to Walter. So you know, if you're a producer, why do you have to learn about? film distribution can you explain what the whole uh in terms of the whole film process can you explain what it is and then i want to talk about afm and should some people would prefer to distribute their own films or attend the afm what what would be more appropriate for to make a film successful Okay, wow, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a huge. It's only two questions. <laughs> they have three only, two, only two. <laughs> only two questions. 
okay, I'll, I'll I'll try the first part first. Um, well, I mean, for for producers, I mean, you know, at the very basic level, so it's kind of like you're you're the the filmmaker, so you're like the production stage, and then uh-huh. which is kind of the exhibition stage, kind of everything in between is distribution. It's getting it from okay. you, the viewer, and that can happen a million different ways. Um, so, and then a thing I like to tell people, you know, what what do I need about distribution? Well, if you want money to make your movie, you got to tell some the person giving you that money how they're going to make their money back. Right. Unless it's like your parents, where it's like, okay, you know, here, just do whatever, you know. Oh yeah, I, <laughs> I, I think you're hitting on like on a really good good point because I think that so many people are just obsessed with the idea of making a movie and that's all they think about and they forget that the major the main the main component is so you get it done that's just the beginning you know like uh-huh. that, that is just the beginning now you have to figure out how people are gonna watch this thing and I think a lot of filmmakers um, don't think about that so I mean I think it's good that we're bringing this up now I remember going to like a, a distribution panel a long time ago after yeah. I did my first like like indie movie. I did like one for like five thousand bucks, and then wow. uh, I mean it, it took me four years and sucked my soul out. But that's another story. <laughs> 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 I went to this like panel, and then, <laughs> and then this guy was like, you know, if I could do it over again, if I had ten dollars to make a movie, I'd make it for three and spend the next seven on marketing. <laughs> you know? You're right. And I, and I think right. that, that's that's the main component too. I think that with right. um, if there's filmmakers out there, and um, I think we're going to kind of go all over the different place with this, but but um, it, it, a good distributor is going to spend a good amount of money on the marketing of your film if they believe in it. And I think that's that's something I think filmmakers have to keep in mind because they don't think about that. They also when they think about distribution, they also think like, okay, so I got a good distributor, and they sign a deal real quick without even figuring out like how much money is going to be spent on the time and the marketing of your of your of your film so one has to be careful with that as well too so great point walter yeah i mean you know i mean Faye, you know to your question you know uh, you know why do producers have to learn about it i mean you know you know i work for distributors and sales agents and you know and dean's been in this industry i think it if you're going to be a smart producer I mean, you really have to understand distribution because these are people who are going to put your movie out. Who may, you know, if you're lucky enough, give you money to make the movie. But at the very least, after you've made the movie, they're going to give you money to pay it back. So, I mean, and you have to you have to explain this process to your investors, and then you have to understand it when you do those deals because they're they're really like a, a partner in your filmmaking process. You know, from from your making it. Mm-hmm getting it out there to people seeing it uh, and you know you want to get with the right partner and you have to understand what the distributors go through um, so you know there's there's a, a lot of horror stories but you know of also there's a lot of good stories where you, you know they do market the movie the way you want to and then they get out to people the way you want it to or get it out at all I mean you know like you said somebody has to believe in your movie to begin with and you know yeah that's uh that's a big part is just finding somebody like the right match you know? yeah 100 percent. 100 percent. um you know I, I think and to add to that um you know i think that a lot of that that the distribution the, the distribution relationship with the filmmaker is very close because what you're doing is you, you're making decisions together sometimes with a good distributor 
is you're going hand in hand with the key art, you know, what's, you know, in terms of the image and the poster. And then also too, a lot of distributors um, are gonna cut it, are gonna cut the trailer, one international and one domestic. And, you know, a lot of filmmakers don't think about yeah. that, you know, about the market and how that's gonna be presented to the market, you know? Um, and, and, you know, I, I think one thing that filmmakers should ask is like, you know, a distributor is what type of relationships do you have um, internationally with buyers? You know, when, when you ask that kind of a question to a distributor, they know that you have some level of, of research and they know that you kind of know what you're talking about in that regard. You know, it's like, and, 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 as, and as, a, as a producer, one should know that, you know, if, if you're going to approach certain kinds of um, distribution companies, you should at least have a general sense and idea of the kinds of relationships they, they do have and where they do put their product out all, all across the world. So. All, these are all the factors, and um, you know, that one has to take in, you know, as a filmmaker. So, so my other question is about AFM. You AFM, know, they yeah. have this big, yeah, and 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 also like, is it like film festivals? How important is it that that your film should be in a it's, film festival? Uh, yeah. it, I think that if you're a filmmaker and you get to a you go to a film festival and you get laurels, that's always um, an aspect that is a very important aspect to the component of, of marketing your film. You know, um, you mm -hmm. know, like uh, if a film does well, obviously it's South by Southwest or whatever, or it gets buzz, and you put laurels on that. That's something they can put on the key art. You know, um, you know, mm -hmm. but that, that all again that 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 you know that could entice. Um, if you don't have distribution, it could help with the distribution of like, you know, because that's a tie in in terms of the marketing. That's a node that the marketing team at the distribution company can hang their hat on and say that it did well at this festival or that festival. So it's important, but it, it but it isn't necessarily, um, you know, a make or break either. You know, it'll, it'll help, but it, a, a film doesn't have to necessarily go to festivals, but it's definitely going to, it's not going to hurt if it goes to a festival either. Yeah, I think it really helps specifically when the, the people, the type of people that go to festivals and certain types of festivals, you know, yeah. whether it's like, you know, say like a horror or art house, I mean, right. people are into that genre. Mm -hmm. So if they love it, they're going to be like, oh, I just saw this movie, it, 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 you know, a mm -hmm. fantasy movie or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then it you get the buzz within that community. And then mm -hmm. at the very least, you want that buzz within the, the genre of your film. And then, and then hopefully it'll it'll grow from there. And it's amazingly small. I mean, when, when you think about um, the buyers group and the, and the ones that are making the acquisitions and the decisions, it's a very small group that makes its decision. So it is it is about those relationships and, and penetrating those relationships and getting within that world. So, yeah, great point. And then uh, you know to to AFM. I mean, you know, for for everybody there who's who's not familiar with with markets. I mean. There's, there's a handful of film markets. There's a, well, actually, there's a lot of film markets. There's like a few that are major around the world. And these are places where the sellers of films um, go to and, and sell sell films. And then the, the buyers, who are distributors around the world, um, they come to these to, to buy films. So, mm -hmm. for example, a seller might be, hey, I have 10 movies. And they might have picked your movie. And they'll, they'll get a suite at the hotel in Santa Monica. Yep. Yep. And then the buyers or you know, let's say every country has a distributor or has distributors. Mm -hmm. So the guys, maybe there's like four different companies in, in, in Germany or, or whatnot. I mean, there, there's more, but one of those executives will come into LA and then go into that suite and like, hey, I want to put out some movies in Germany. What do you got? 
And then that company shows me, hey, here's my 10 movies. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I like this one. I'll pay pay this much for this movie. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's just a very simple, I mean, it is what it is. It's just like any other market where sellers and buyers come. Only, you know, with traditionally in the film industry, there's there's a handful of bigger markets. So everybody comes together at those markets, you know, at, at, at those particular places. You know, AFM is in Los Angeles. Khan is in France. Um, I mean, you know, with with uh, the pandemic, it's it's kind of weird because people don't really go anywhere. But uh, but in theory, that's that's where all the action yeah. happens. You know, so. you're right, and and it happens quick too. Um, when, when you when you see the buyers, they're they're all business. They come through, they take a look at the trailers, they see what's going on, and they just they go right through them all. And um, it, sometimes they make decisions that quickly based upon the key art and with the trailers sometimes. You know, and it's also based upon the relationships that the, that the buyer has with the seller as well, too. If they trust their product and their brand, then they'll always continue to buy from them. You know, again, that's why it's important to understand, like, for filmmakers is to kind of do research on the distributors and figure out where you could fit in, you know. Um, I think that's a really important aspect of it, too. So, Dean, let me ask you, I mean, you, you know, work in acquisitions. Yeah. Like, when, for the people who have a finished movie or, or you know, when they do have a finished movie and then mm -hmm. they're showing it to, to, to you, what do you look for initially? Because you're doing like, whatever, 50 meetings a day, seeing hundreds sure. of um, Well, with me, um, you know, I, I we have a criteria. I think it all depends on, on the company that you work for. Like, for example, when I worked for um, a company like Tricos, it, it, they kind of could do anything, you know, they kind of knew how to market in all aspects of it. But really what they were drawn to, I think what most companies are drawn to is, is what's easy to sell internationally. And internationally, it tends to be action films and horror films because, you know, as we know, comedies and dramas are more nuanced. So they require, you know, a little bit more of a, there's a language barrier. Whereas like, I think with, with um, action films and horror films are very easy because the visual vocabulary is very easy to, to understand. Um, but, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, what, what we all look at is what, you know, part of it is what can we put on the key art, you know, when we take it to the markets, you know, who's going to be on there. Like, I think, I think you've done a movie with Danny Trejo, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You put that guy on a poster, you know, you take it to certain markets and you know that you're going to get buyers because they understand without even seeing the movie. Right. Because there's a marketability um, aspect. So I, I would say like the, one of the first things that I look at is the marketability. How, how, how can we, you know, because we have to think in terms of the margins of marketing for the film as well, too. You know, like if, if a movie's good, but like there isn't really any kind of names to attach to, it's gonna be more of a challenge to market, I think, you know, um, you know, uh, to sell at the markets um, than other films. So, you know, I think it's the marketability of it, you know? Um, sadly, it's not about, sometimes it's not about how good it is, you know, depending on what company you work for. It's just about, can they sell it to their buyers? Um, you know? Um, so I think the first thing I'd look at is, can we market this, you know, just by, looking at it and if and if what is the like what is the marketability of the film as well too felt like i was kind of all over that in that answer but um. i remember one of my early jobs in distribution it was, yeah. uh, it was kind of like um, a hard reality because you know i was this, this this filmmaker yeah and then you know i would hear the executives say have a saying it's not what's in the box it's what's on the box <laughs> you, know? yeah, you do 100 that's the real <laughs> no no 100 100 reality you know i mean it, it's different because i think when when you're when you're a creative person um you know when you're doing a creative project it's all about 
expressing yourself and finding the artistic elements of it. And then you go, you flip the other side of it and you talk to executives. I mean, there are some different, there, there are exceptions to every rule, but for the most part, you know, they're trying to, f it's basically property that they're trying to flip and sell into the market, you know, and, and, and sell out there. So it's, it's, you're right. It's a harsh, it's harsh. <laughs> hey, to go back to your question about like, you know, why producers have to know about distribution. I think, you know, it's, it's kind of like a switching sides of your brain because, you know, if you're a writer, director, creative person, that's one side, but then when you're trying to make money off your movie and get it sold, you have to think like a business person. 100%. So you're talking to yeah. people. Yes. And literally people in the distribution companies I work for, they, they call movies product. You know? No, no, 100%. You're right. It's a, it's a hard, it's yeah. a cold, it's a cold reality. You know, at, at the end of the day, it's property. You know, they, they see it like, how can they sell this at market? Which is the antithesis of what you're supposed to do when you make a film. You're supposed to be thoughtful and, and, and sensitive and find, you know, the artistic aspect of it all where, you know, the film world is very cold and, and calculated. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that it, well, well, you know, that, like for instance, it reminds me of what's this one, the one, the lead actor at Inception. Um, mm, so, you mm -hmm. can, and and it kept repeating itself. And Hasman said, well, "How can people come to this to see the lead actor?" But I cannot understand the film. <laughs> but you know, some people are like that. They, the it's important to have the. The poster boy in the film because that attracts the buyers and it also attracts the people to to watch it even though they cannot understand the story you know and that's really sad for me <laughs> oh, I, yeah I, no really really so you so, watch it because of the actor not the story so uh i have a question that that has a segue Wait. from what the conversation you two are talking about in terms of uh I hope you guys can hear me because I'm not sure. I can totally uh, hear you. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, Walter disappeared. One, okay. One of you mentioned something about um, making a film that AFM can buy easily. Yes. And I'm, I keep thinking like to myself, like, well, filmmakers, when they make films, it's art, artistry and the message they want to say. And they'll cast their people. I mean, they'll cast whoever they want. They fit the audition and all, this, all that stuff. But somehow the... It doesn't fit to what AFM could could sell. So basically, my question is, is especially for uh, Asian act or not Asian, but like a foreign like, uh, unbaked like foreign films. Not so much like most films I've seen AFM is like uh, the Caucasian lead and stuff like that. And unfortunately, that sells. I mean, that sells. That's the reality of it all. That sells. That's it. Yeah, right. Unfortunately, if, if it's international stars, it's international stars from outside the United States because they have this, you know, following and all that stuff. So uh, I'm not going to be negative when I ask this question. Is there a negative impact of foreign pre-sales on diversity in films? Like are minority casts who are not internationally bankable uh, plausible? Is it I, I, I think that you're hitting the nail around the head. I think that you're right. You know this to be true, I think. <laughs> um, sure. I, I think that um, you know when they when when you when you're talking about from the American market, for the most part, I think that they're looking for for Caucasian people. You know, like if someone's coming in from Turkey or from Japan, for the most part, that's what they're looking for. It depends, though. It, it really depends if it, about the distribution. I mean, about, about the about the buyer. You know, what kind of films that they're buying. But for the most part, yes. But I mean, 
that's not to discourage anybody from doing anything artistic or doing it with a diverse cast. I, I don't think that, I, I think that a filmmaker should just do the best possible film and tell the story that they want to tell first and foremost. I think that if you are passionate about it and are, are, are honestly artistic about a film and you feel that, that you know, that you have a vision, then go ahead and do it. There's, there's no reason to think about all that other stuff because that's going to be the reality of the situation anyways. I think that a filmmaker just, just should full on do what they want to do. If they're trying to make money though, and they have like, let's say that you're a director for hire or you have an idea about a film that's going to, to make a certain amount of money, then yeah, there's, there's certain aspects of the market that you want to fulfill, you know, like you want maybe, you know, a recognizable cast, a genre that's easily sellable, you know, a horror or action film. Um, you know, those are aspects to take into account. But I mean, if you're trying to make money in, in the film business, wrong business to get into if you're trying to make money. Honestly, at the end of the day, you're going to be completely <laughs> broke and heartbroken. But if you want to make a film and you feel that there's a, you have a story to tell inside and you feel like that nothing else can fully, that can express your, you know, your thoughts and what you feel about, about a story, then do it, you know? But at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, a lot of times the market is looking for white people. But a good movie will always rise to the top no matter what. It doesn't matter. If a movie's good, it'll get there. With minorities, with Caucasian, no matter what. I believe that. So whoever's out there listening, you know, and out there, just, just make the movie that you believe is, is awesome. Just do it. I believe that, you know? Yeah, well, one example of that is that, you know, the films about women, they've always said, oh, stories about women, loves, they're not gonna sell. Not but true. what happened to Wonder Woman? Yeah, well, yeah. that's not true, really. And, and yeah. what example is Wonder Woman? And then another one is Parasite. Parasite is large. Mm -hmm. Asian, but the story is so beautiful. Yeah, and the way I mean, and the shots are nice. You know, this absolutely. director Parasite was, was a man, he adored yeah. Lena Bright. This is one example. No, yeah. I, I, I 100% yeah. agree. I, I, you know, I, I, think, I believe uh, if a film is good, it's going to be good. It doesn't matter. Was it? You know, if a film is going to be, if, if a film is, regardless of the subject Joe matter. Joe has a question. Oh, cool. Let's hear it. Yeah. What's the question? Yo. What's up? Go ahead. Or or read it to us. I can't see it actually. I wish I could see it. I can't see that. Put it on the put it on put it on the chat, but that's okay. My question is actually I just put one question there, but the first one is the first one is how has the pandemic affected the business of film distribution? Um I think, you know, first, I, I think what's happened is that there's, there's now obviously an emphasis on the digital distribution aspect of it all. And, and um, you know, um, the AVOD platforms, you know, the adver advertising video in demand has become even more important as with the SVOD, SVOD being, you know, like the Netflix um, and all those, and those, you know, Netflix and Hulu and all that stuff. But what I, but what, what I've seen and, and, and continue to see rise is the, the rise of the AVOD platforms, you know, the Tubi's, the Pluto's, which are quote unquote free and are kind of um, geared more towards the millennial market that is not used to paying for media. Um, so I think that there's an even more important emphasis now on the digital distribution 
um, of, of, of content. And I, you know, it, it's sad because of the pandemic. I think we're, we're, we're really looking at the final days, I think, or years of, uh, of theatrical. I think that's, that's going to change. I think that's going to exist in some form. But in my opinion, I think it's, it's just, it's going to turn into like, you know, Broadway, things like that. You know, it'll always, always exist somewhere, but it's not going to be the main place where people are going to go and watch films anymore. And I think it's, it's totally like that now, unfortunately. So question number two, in relation to that, uh, thank you for answering, by the way. Um, so uh, with the recent um, Disney, that move up, Disney move of bringing Mulan to, you know, for an, it's almost like pay-per-view now. Sure. So yeah. Do you foresee um, yeah. movies going that route more and more? I think so. I think that they're, that, you know, you know, when a decision like that is made and we see that, you know, that there's a lot of, you know, executives in a room that are making that kind of a decision. And I think that at the end of the day, movies like Mulan or Tenet, they're quote unquote event films. It's something where they, they generate a lot of marketing around the idea that people need to see this movie because it's a Christopher Nolan film. It's the new, you know, Disney epic, you know, um, you know, with Disney with that, that's I think that was a calculated move in terms of number one, cornering the American market, but also catering to the Chinese market as well because of the international cast and Chinese cast of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's a very smart, you know, obviously that's Disney. That's a big move. You know, but um, I, I think I think that if if there's an in, in, you know increase of subscriptions because of the of, of Mulan and we see that, I think that it's just going to accelerate the aspect of seeing event films and big films being released that way with this thirty dollar ticket. You know, with it. You know, I think they're trying to they're trying to create that FOMO, right? That fear of missing out. You know, and I think that's that's the whole idea behind Mulan and all these other things. I, I think like with, there's even that with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I, I remember seeing that float around and people talking about it. And you know, and they were charging, I think $19 or $10, $20, something like that. So I think that, I think that's gonna be the new norm, especially with the pandemic. And until, un, until we get out of this, you know, um, I think that's gonna be a normal thing. I don't know, what do you think, Walter? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I agree. I mean, there's a couple of ways to look at it. I mean. You know, yeah. one way is, you know, when Disney charges that 30 bucks, they mm. keep all of it. <laughs> yeah, um, it is 30 bucks. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then an another it is way, 30. in a way, Netflix is kind of almost doing that. I mean, their movies don't cost 200 million, but right. they're they're spending a lot of money on movies. I mean, yeah. Chris yeah. Hemler's first movie, I don't know, that budget was at least 60 million or something. And yeah, yeah. so many were like, that was way more, that was almost double what we would got from a traditional studio. Yeah. You know, because Netflix is competing with those uh, $200 million movies. So they're like, you know, we got to step up our game. I mean, they didn't charge their $30, you know, because they're they're trying to grow their subscriber base worldwide. But, right. but they don't have that, that history or that library of the major studios. So they're like, well, we need to spend money to compete at that level because people are just going to leave us, you know, when, you know, Disney Plus gets going and all of these other streamers get going. It, right. You know, Netflix is like, well, crap, we don't have 60 years of history in, in that library. So we need mm -hmm. to spend it now. Um, so, yeah, there is huge amounts of money already being spent. I mean, you don't have that that uh, buzz that a Mulan has because 
Netflix just advertises on their own channel. So, you know, it's just people that are already subscribing, you know, mm-hmm. so, um, so they save a lot of money on, on marketing that way. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, just the, yeah, I mean, this year, I mean, in, in terms of how it's changed distribution, I mean, the pandemic has, uh, I think a lot of people are saying it, it sped up the, the timeline because we all thought it was kind of going to go all online anyway. Yeah. Um, but this, we didn't have a choice now, you know, right. so now everyone is, is used to, and you know, that the subscriptions have gone up and you know, what Dean was talking about, like the, the AVOD, I mean, just in the last couple of weeks, um, I, I was, you know, reading some articles and I, you know, I found a, I heard about Pluto TV, um, and I just read about more of it, but that's like a bunch of free streaming. And I was like, wait a minute, there's people streaming stuff for free. I don't, you know, there's more than Netflix and Amazon prime. And then. Right. There's like a, a lot of channels that you have to pay zero, you know? You don't even have to sign up with your email. You just like go on there and there's just like channels and channels. Yeah. And I don't have cable, I'm a cord cutter. You right. Know? The, 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 silver li- the, the silver lining I think with the AVODs is that, and from what I've seen, um, is that AVOD is, is making more money for the independent filmmaker than it ever has before. You know, because when, when, when you go on to like, let's say an SVOD, or a Hulu and those type of thing, which they're gonna drive you towards their product, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you go on Tubi or if you go on Pluto and those AVOD platforms, you can create your own funnels as an independent filmmaker. Let's say that you go on to Facebook and you have your film on Tubi, you can drive an audience by yourself to that link and, and you know make revenue for yourself. Whereas that's not the case in Netflix. Because once you sell your film to Netflix or Hulu, that's it. You're not seeing any kind of other revenue unless you have some other type of deal going on, right? And and I believe that the AVOD platform is, and, and also too, here's the thing. Um, you know, one of the companies that I'd worked for before, they saw just an increase of their films being watched and viewed on, on those platforms, on the AVOD platform, simply because people are more willing to take a chance on a film like that, right? Because it's free, quote unquote. You know, it's not like um, TVOD, you know, the TVOD, which, which is television video on demand, where you would go on direct TV. That Those days are gone where you would buy $5.99 for one movie, right? Don't, don't, no one's doing that anymore. Then they moved over to the SVODs, where you pay a monthly subscription. But now we have a millennial market that doesn't even want to do that anymore, right? So everything is going towards this, uh, you know, AVOD, which is essentially advertising video on demand, right? Which is like television, because there was a Forbes uh, study done with millennials asking them if they would rather, if they would rather watch content without uh, commercials but pay a small price, or if they would rather watch the content for free but watch two or three ads. Guess what? Almost 98% of the kids that were asked said that they would rather watch it for free. These are kids that are not that, that just don't want to pay for content are just not used to that. You know, they're used to getting everything for free for downloads and watching it for free. And also when they're playing their video games when they play a video game, most games are free and then you have to watch one or two ads. So that culture of buying your content through advertising or getting it for quote unquote free is already built in. You know, I think that that's why we're seeing, you know, why why Pluto sold for what? Over a hundred million dollars, you know, when Viacom bought it, they know the price, they know that that's that's the future you know they know that that's the future and i think 
Tubi was recently bought by somebody huge too as well too. So the writing is on the wall. It's basically turning into television, which is just advertising. You know, the, here's, here's something that I'll share too. What I learned is that on AVOD, they can do real-time ad buys, meaning that let's say, for example, someone is watching the content and they have, they can immediately get the demographics of who's there. Like they know that it's all like, let's say they know it's all female, you know, 25 to 35. That's the major component. They can sell that right away to an advertiser and ask them if they want to purchase that ad space coming up in 15 minutes. That's how quick things hmm. move now. Oh. You know, whereas before traditionally oh, wow. sell to television, real-time ad buys happen on, on AVOD. And that's why, again, I, why everybody's flocking towards that direction and why everybody is investing in that world. It's basically TV, but on the internet, right? Yeah. You're paying for commercials. So. <laughs> an interesting experiment with my film. You know, it, it, it came out 2014 and, you know, it sold however many thousands of DVDs it did at the time in the U.S. You know, mm -hmm. it, it wasn't a blockbuster or anything, but then, and then it would show up on YouTube in, in several different languages. I was constantly taking it down, constantly taking it down. <laughs> I mean, after a couple hundred time, times of that, I'm like, screw this. I'm just not going to take it down. I, I can't stop, you know, these people putting it up every five minutes. So I just like let it play. And then, you know, I would check back and then I would see how many people would watch it. I was like, wow, this is way more than anybody would buy a DVD for, <laughs> you know? And then it had like, I left one going because I would actually take it down when it was a crappy like copy because <laughs> I don't want a crappy copy. Yeah. But, um, but as an experiment, I just let it keep running. And also as a filmmaker, I just want people to see the movie. But, um, and these, these aren't people who are seeing it for the fourth time. These are probably people who would never watch it, but never right. paid, you know? Sure, right. <laughs> But, uh, but, you know, it, then it, it would run like a couple hundred thousand times and I would get to see the feedback and, and, and you know, yeah, I, I agree. That's that's the, the way to go. And then as a as a filmmaker, you know, and, and you know, nobody made money out of that. Not the distributor, not me, um, you know, maybe just whoever put that up illegally. Um, but, you know, as the, the, the platform, the online platforms evolve, you know, there are, the filmmaker will be able to take advantage of it more. Yes. And it's it just... In bigger picture, it's kind of taking a little bit of the power out of the, the you know, the, the giant hands of the, the studios and distributors, you know, because, you know, back in the day, it was only giant studios, you know, and so it's just evolving more towards your, your touring garage band, so to speak, you know, uh, the, where the filmmaker, it, it becomes that, that mini entrepreneur. Um, and, and you know, just to, to, to bring it back to the filmmaker uh, angle, I mean, I, I had read somewhere if you if you want to make some uh, make some money online uh, in anything, you know, if you can get like a thousand loyal followers who'll watch anything that you do, then you know they'll keep coming back. You, you know, you don't need ten million. You know, you just need those loyal followers. One hundred percent. I right now I'm experimenting and going on Twitch, and I'm watching what's happened because of the pandemic, right? And and a lot of my friends, um, you know, the Filipino, they're DJs as well too, and they have nowhere to perform. They have nowhere to do their gigs, and they have nowhere to to do their thing and make money. And you know, normally they they play a club and get paid for the night. So what's happened is what I've seen happen is because of the pandemic. This happened just like you know the last like since March. There's been an explosion of of DJs performing on Twitch and then they they monetize that they be, because because Twitch is used to supporting streamers 
You know, there's a whole culture of buying bits that you contribute towards a streamer or you get a subscription, which is like five bucks a month to support the streamer. This has all happened because of video gaming, right? But now, but now um, DJs and musicians <laughs> have gone in there and are now and are now monetizing that using that same culture of purchase and 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 supporting so like I, you know I, I saw one 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 dj filipino dj she's really good her name is Del, uh, dj bella fiasco uh, you know she has she has about 2000 subscribers that she just recently gotten and this is one and she was a big dj i think with in vegas and doing all that type of thing but her her fan base with those 2000 people are so loyal they're always contributing to her they're all like whenever she goes on a stream you just see these this endless amount of support um people subscribing you know and i think that's something that just recently happened you know i think that's something that we're going to see more of you know and i think we're just tapping that that aspect of what twitch you know I, I, what twitch something like twitch can do for for that because of the pandemic so that's one of the trends that i've seen and and i'm really just very curious about and fascinated by right now because of what happened. You know, Twitch I thought was just a gaming platform. Then all of my friends said, you got to go on there. They're, people are throwing parties and they're turning it into nightclubs and they're having fun. <laughs> and that whole culture has really evolved. You know, like you see DJs having drinks and taking shots. Like if if we get to this part, we're gonna we're gonna take a shot together. It's all about us. And they're building communities within that. And it's not just DJs. It's musicians and there's other people that are starting to understand that it's about the relationship. It's not just about video games, it's about connecting with people. And I think that's what I'm seeing right now. It's really interesting and kind of exciting. So I kind of went off there. I'm just really excited about Twitch. I don't know why, so <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I that's an interesting point that goes back to what uh, Edwin was asking you about, about yeah. you know all the, the Caucasian factors and diversity. I mean, mm -hmm. here's how we take our power back is, you know, Asians, specifically Filipinos, we're great online. You know, 100%. 100%. <laughs> I mean, we followings. I mean, we don't, you know, we're not the Warner Brothers might not cast us in something, but hell, let's cast ourselves and then let's, you know, because like, we're the best DJs, obviously. Or oh, no, 100%. <laughs> no, no, I think that on Twitch, the Filipino DJs are dominating the scene. Like if you look at it, you know, these, all these DJs and, you know, and, and, and here's the thing about like DJs, they're, they're so tech savvy. They always have to figure out things in terms of their technology. Like, do they have to use a CDJ or a Serato? So they're always, I always like the idea that they're always ahead of the curve, um, you know, and, and, and I'm seeing all these, you know, these, these kinds of green screen things, it just this, all this creativity that I'm seeing with all these DJs that I think is inevitable where people are gonna figure out how to monetize that in terms of their films. I mean, I have ideas, I think, already, I think that that could work, you know, in terms of if you're trying to do things like that. But, but again, it's, it's all relationship-based and you're right. Filipinos are fantastic performers. And then what I'm witnessing on Twitch is that that whole thing exploding. I'm seeing that happen. You know, there's, a, there's so many great Filipino DJs on there that I'm, I find entertaining. And I spend a lot of my time watching their their feeds, it's, 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 it's fascinating. And then the community aspect of it, they're building community, you know, yeah. that are supporting these, these artists, which I think is great. So I, I encourage everyone to support the, the Filipino DJs on Twitch. <laughs> yeah, I think there is, if you look at the big picture, it kind of like, you know, touching on all of these, I mean, there's really two ends of the spectrum, right? I mean, you know, you get your big studio deal, 
you, you get your big budget for your movie, you have your, your stars, and you, you go that traditional route. And then on the other end, there's this online, it's you, your phone, and your computer. You 100%. Know? You're building that community. And, you know, there's a lot of things in between. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think for, depending on your project, you have to kind of know where your end goal is. You know, because mm-hmm. if you want to make a big move, if you want to make that $2 million movie, you know, with, with a big name and, you know, get a, get some good, good money off of it, then that's a specific type of route. But if you want to, you know, do a series of shorts, webisodes, build a community, make a little extra change, you know, you might never sell that script or, you know, get that $5 million budget for that giant sci-fi thing you do. But, you know, you can make these cool little things and build that community and, and practice your craft. And then maybe if you get, you know, it blows up, you're 100,000 followers, then you take that and like, hey, I'm this filmmaker with 100,000 followers. This is my next zombie thing I want to do. Like, hey, people like this guy. You know, so- I, I agree. I, I think that you're hitting, like, I think that you're, you're kind of hitting on the right. I think that's kind of the idea. I think that it, it's, it always starts, I think, especially with minorities, it's about going into your community and getting them excited because no one is representing us at the end of the day, right? So we, we need to figure out, you know, like we, we go to our people and show them. And I think that's that's the avenue to go. And, and you're right. I think people have to remember that just showcase your talent at the end of the day. It's about showcasing your talent. I think it's about showing these short films and build that and build that creative community around you and, and support other artists too. You know, I think it's, it's important. I think a lot of times when I, at least when I grew up, it, it was a lot of, comp- it felt like there could only be one in the room. So it felt like there was competition with, within, within your own people, you know, and rather than uplifting everybody and bringing everybody up, it felt like a lot of times that were, there was this weird jealousy, at least for me, um, but, but, you know, now, now all I can do when I see other Filipino filmmakers or artists is just, I just go 100% all in and just try to, you know, we got to back each other up, you know, support any way that we can, be, be it some type of sharing on, on someone's, you know, wall or, or social media wall or monetarily or whatever. I think that it's good for us to just continue to support and, and you're right, showcase your talent. And I think continue to make these small things and eventually becomes a big thing it's like it's like i think it's like a day-by-day process you know of of finding those little wins every single day that add up to one giant win i think yeah yeah. so um you guys touched on um i was gonna ask that one question but i guess you guys answered it uh you guys uh but 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 you touched on distributors and the, the filmmakers but the already indie filmmakers um having to put their films on PBOD or, or touch the cable. K-Bot, right. Uh-huh. Right. And my question is, or I'm, I'm going to break it down a little bit, and I'm not really sure this is a correct question to ask, but how will cinemas, cinemas use PBOD or AVOD to invigorate box office revenue? Or is that, is that, a, is that, a, is that a, even a question? I don't, you know, that's really interesting. I never thought about it that way. I, I, I think that they're kind of at odds, right? Because this generally windows. It goes theatrical, then it goes TVOD, SVOD, then AVOD is generally the last part of it. I think that if a film is successful, um, let's say like on, 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 an, on an AVOD platform, one can use that as leverage to say that, you know, if you can get those analytics, you can maybe use that as, as some sort of leverage um, with producers and let them know that it made X amount of dollars on on TVOD. 
But in terms of cinemas, I mean, what it'd be weird because they're 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 always kind of, you know, at the um, they're like the premium stage for filmmakers. It's it's the uh, you know every filmmaker, no matter who, always has the dream of having a red carpet premiere at a theater. You know, it doesn't matter. That's that's why a lot of us you know get into the whole idea of it all. But I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, Walter? Um, yeah, you know, it's funny that, that you mentioned the filmmaker thing. It's like a lot of film festivals. I mean, we were talking about before. It may or may not help help your film, but every filmmaker wants that. It's kind of like our, you know, it's a dream. tour. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's, so, it's, it's a dream. I would spend thousands of dollars like applying and then flying across the country. I mean, I'm making no money off of it, but I want to be in that theater with people watching. No, I mean, th- I, and I think that that's valid. I think that that's, that's part of the whole experience that we think about as a filmmaker. There's nothing better than watching your movie or your, your end product with a group of people. And, and, and especially if they get it and they enjoy it there's i mean that's that's one of the reasons why i think we're you know a lot of people are filmmakers and creatives is for that very reason you know to experience that so you know i'm not gonna hate if somebody wants to do that you know like what i mean like that's what it's all about right you know? <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you know it's i do agree with you where it's gonna you know, going to the theater is more gonna be more about the communal experience you know like like going to a concert or something like that it's the um, energy yeah, yeah, you're sharing yeah. this energy with people that you would never get anywhere else. That's what's unique about it. And I think that's why it's important, I think, for us to support the theater and, and have that part of it, you know? Um, but yeah, man, it's all about that. It's all about that energy, that shared experience. That's what why we are making films or are creative. I think, I mean, that's why I aspire to do that still, too. Um, uh, can I add something? Uh, yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. Uh, I notice I, I watch a lot of Netflix right now, yeah. and um, a lot of people, you know, when you're a filmmaker, now how do I make money when there's no more money to be made when you sell it to Netflix? But I notice a lot of uh, films, especially from India, they have so many sponsors. Sure. Instead of uh, instead of showing the the actors or something like that, the the show the sponsors first. So uh-huh. I think, uh, you know, uh, everything has to be, you have to adjust to what, uh-huh. what's going on, uh, the, the reality of it. Because when you sell to Netflix, you don't make any more money. And uh-huh. if you go to uh, Amazon, then you have to really advertise it and all like that to make money. Right. But uh, the whole idea is that uh, a filmmaker right now can distribute their own uh, movies. Sure. You can, you know, you can do it before you, you can't. But nowadays, so for me, really is to really build your network, people that will support you and they can look at it. So uh, I think the reality is that anybody can, uh, anybody can see your movie right now because it's so open that you can, um, somebody can, they can see it. It's the, before, it, it's so hard that mm-hmm. you know, uh, somebody can see your movie. But nowadays, there's no problem to say, I can claim that my film will be distributed. <laughs> I, I agree with you 100%. I, I think at the end, I think that you're right. I think that, I think you're right, Abe. I think that at the end of the day, what this is all really all about is to get your film seen by as many people as possible, no matter what. You know, forget about the, like, it's hard to to forget about the money, but you really have to. Because really what this is all about is, is you know, if you're a filmmaker, it's about getting your movie seen by as many people as possible. You know, because what that will do is hopefully lead to the next project where you get to make another film. You know, and I, I agree. 
and and these days yeah and you're right with with brand I think what you'd mentioned basically is brand placement um product placement which are other avenues where one can make money through in their films you know if 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 someone knows what they're doing and has those relationships with those with those brands you can certainly make money off of product placement and brand placement for sure 100% Yeah, a lot of the the films uh, made outside the U.S. Uh, they're actually the the funding is put together by like lots of different places. Uh, like a, a lot of them are grants uh, from you know either companies or uh, grants that come from governmental agencies. Uh, mm-hmm. So when you see a lot of international films that they have, you know, like there's 17 different logos, you know, because. Yeah. In America, it, a lot of it is, you know, like like equity. I mean, you basically have to ask your your rich uncle or, or something. But in these yeah. other countries, and I found out this out when I was in the the Philippines last year. Um, I was speaking at a, a film conference, and so I, I talked to a lot of these filmmakers. And then they they gotten their movies done. They would get like ten thousand from a, a a post company in Korea, and you know twenty thousand from this grant in France. And you know those guys are actually really good at hitting the pavement at at these different. Festivals and markets where these these uh, organizations do have you know ten twenty thirty thousand dollars and then they they patch it through a patchwork um, and you know I, yeah. I think maybe you know American filmmakers should take a, a lesson from that because you know our model here it's it's not a good model you're just you're begging some rich person yeah. <laughs> a lot of money no you you're right Walter I think it's about finding the free money that's out there you know tax breaks going into certain kind of even states within the United States where it, well I don't know about now but you could shoot in certain places and get get the free money you know and but I think you're right I think with 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 the international is that they're a little more savvy in terms of raising um, capital Um, with grants and knowing where to find that money, and I think a lot of them have those relationships as well too. But you're right. I think with these days, I think with Americans, we have to kind of change the idea of where we can source the the you know the capital to make the product. Yeah. Yeah. Can, yeah, can I? You know, in addition to what Abe was saying, you know, like I, like for instance, Dean Delvin, he showed almost paradise in Cebu. And then they showed it on Channel Five. But then what he did was he created his own what you call electric network, and he would show his old films at the same time, Almost Paradise, so that people who missed seeing Almost Paradise on Channel Five can just get the app, and then they would see the 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 TV series, the TV uh, program itself, which was filmed in Cebu. So that way he's really essentially distributing it or streaming it through electric uh, network. So my other question is, is there was there a point in time when you guys liked the story, but you know it's not going to make money uh, when you distribute it, but you would still push for it to be sold by the buyers or to be bought by the buyers rather because you like the story i mean was there a time when when that happened to you or would you do you like that well um Walter? i don't oh yeah go for it go ahead go ahead go ahead um, Dean. well I, no. I, i don't i don't know if i i have an example of my my own but um i did work for uh, dean devlin for Electric Entertainment, and he picked up a movie called Transit, 
which is uh, it, it was in Cinemalaya. Uh, I think it actually won Best Picture at Cinemalaya, which is kind of like the Sundance of the Philippines. Great mm. movie. Um, it was about a uh, overseas worker from the Philippines who worked in Israel, I believe. And then I think I know this movie. Yes. Yeah, oh, great film. Good movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it was a. Uh, but it was, and he loved that film, and it, it was a good movie. Um, but you know, kind of going back to the beginning where we're talking about marketing, that was a good movie that was tough to market because it's starring Filipinos in Tagalog, in Israel. So you're like, wait, whose movie is this? What what do we push? So, you know, it, it got some attention because it was a good movie, but um, the people who didn't, you know, dig deep into you know the the immigrant story of it because it was about immigrants who were gonna get deported you know and, and get separated from family members in israel stuff like that um really good movie really well reviewed i mean it's probably like in the 90 percent of rotten tomatoes or that kind of thing um but a lot of the foreign buyers who do skew towards more you know the, the commercial elements let's let's call them um it it, it didn't get that kind of um, those sales you know, so that's like an example of a good movie that was um, tough to sell. Um, but you know, the, on the other end, I always um, good movies that that are marketable um, that do well. I always point to, to Moonlight because if you look at the elements of that, there's no reason why that should have gotten made. I mean, it's it's a coming of age story of a, a gay black man told in three different parts with like three different groups of actors. I mean, if you pitch that, you know. People are gonna go like what? But I mean the the, uh, the so art you know. behind it was so yeah, great. Right away. <laughs> yeah, it was a great yeah. movie. You know, yeah. it was one of the best So that's yeah. you know, like when Dean was talking about make the movie that you want to make and make it as best as possible because it's gonna shine through. You know, I, have to make- uh, yeah, I can't emphasize that enough either. Mm-hmm. I think that it's so easy. I think to get discouraged when you hear talk, especially when you talk about distribution and sales, mm-hmm. it's so discouraging. I think to a lot of filmmakers. But you know, at the end of the day. It, it, that's not that's not the, the main idea you know the main idea is to express yourself 100% artistically you know do it what, no matter what because that story is burning inside of you and you have to tell it I think that that's and that's that's the example of that film I think um, Transit is that we're talking about it now right yeah. so there, there's a reason you know like it, 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 it's a good movie and Eventually, people will find it. I think, and and in this day and age, I think that people will find more more films like that. I think, you know, when when that movie came out, it was very difficult to to where are you going to place it and how are you going to sell it. I think now, a film like that could could possibly do better with all the different avenues of of marketing that could happen, especially with social media, targeting your you know the, the groups that you think we're going to do better. We have so much more. Um, tools um, and, and an idea of the analytics of how, how to get to those people now. So, you know, I, I think it's easy to get discouraged when you hear, you know, distribution talk, but I can't, I still think that people should just tell that story because if it's good, it's going to come out and people are going to see it no matter what. Especially now with our stories specifically, because, you know, mm-hmm. with, with all of these Filipino movies coming on Netflix, it's an incredible mm-hmm. thing because mm-hmm. here's. You know, just let's pick your your average white person in Nebraska, let's say. Mm-hmm. People in Nebraska. But, you know, <laughs> there's no reason why they would have gone to Best Buy and if, if there even was a Filipino film on a DVD there, like, oh, I'm going to watch this. I, probably not. But, you know, if they're just flipping through their, their TV, okay, I'll check this out. And now our faces, our stories are out to 
non-Filipinos, which is one percent. And they're 100%. getting it, you know. So like, yeah, yes, I, I loved you know Birdshot. I'll check this one out with this Filipino I, guy. I was just gonna say that I, you know, like, look, the idea that that someone like Mikhail Red, who is very important filmmaker of his generation, is getting seen by people. Let's say that, yeah, in Nebraska, it's this that's incredible. You know, like uh, we we are living in an incredible time at the end. It's all awesome because you know what we're talking about are 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 avenues that didn't exist 15, 20 years ago, even 10 years, even like let's even five years ago. These are new channels and new ways to get through. And um, I think more than ever, I think that a storyteller should be excited, not discouraged, because of the quote-unquote traditional ways of getting your, your stories out there. You know, there's, now there's more than ever. I think that um, Abe said that. We all, I think we're all kind of saying that, that there's multiple ways to get your movie that goes beyond just theatrical. And I think a majority of people are watching their, 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 uh, their films primarily digitally now, too. I mean, that, there's no other way. We're in a pandemic. You know, so now is the time you know, to get your stories out there and, and prepare and make them. Because I think it's never going to be the same after this. I think that a lot of people may never return to a theater because of what's happened with the pandemic. That could, that's a strong possibility. You know, and I think a lot of people are going to take their media in through, through digital distribution. Yeah, I, I hate to say this. I mean, I'm a movie lover. I'm a filmmaker. I didn't go to the movies a lot because the tickets are so darn expensive now. <laughs> you know? Hey, you know, I, and you're right. And I, I think that we should talk about that. I think that the idea is that that theater theaters are suffering because they stopped being innovative in terms of how to get people into the theater. I think that they had such a dominant reign in terms of that's the only place to see it, you know, see the movie. Um, but, but, but. $18, you know, for a bucket of popcorn that costs pennies to make, you know, and people are smart to know that, especially Filipinos, man, we're going to bring our own, you know, snacks in there. We're going we're gonna to go way past that, man. We're going to bring our own bottle. Bring a bag. Like, we're going to bring a bag of stuff, man. Forget about that $20 popcorn and $15 soda. You know, we're going to bring lumpias in. You know, it's, it's, it's a different, it's a, we have a different experience, you know. Um, um, but yeah, I think part of it is the greed of the theater owners and, and not really kind of innovating in terms of ways to get people into theater. Look, I mean, when, 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 um, when theaters had to compete with television, they, they came up with CinemaScope and wider screens and bigger things. You know, I think too much emphasis, like, they, I think that they sort of took that model and let's put it all on IMAX, but not every movie can be made in IMAX, you know? No one, not every film can be shot 70 millimeter. You know, and I think what they really should have done is lowered the ticket prices. You know, <laughs> they really just should have done something like that. Make it cheaper for people to go see a movie, you know? Um, so I have a question here. Um, uh, to reach the global audience, an independent producer's best ally is their international sales agent. How does one, <laughs> how does that producer get in touch with a sales agent? Who wants to add to that? Well, you can go to ASM. Um, well, yeah, number one, I think generally what, what someone does is that you have to approach them. You have to send them your films, you have to show them, and, and you have to figure out that's the hustle. There's no automatic way to get in. There's multiple, there isn't a magic bullet. You know, to get, to get a hold of, inner, a lot of it is hustling and relationships, networking, that's where the, that's where the work is, that's the hustle. You know, is if, if you, again, if you're, if you're a producer and you have a film and you need to get the sales agents, you're going to find a way. Cause I did, I thought, I mean, I, I, 
you know, because um, because part of what tri- when I worked at Tricos is what they do is they're, they're sales agents as well with well the rep, you know, because they had backstop deals where if someone didn't get their film distributed, they can use um they 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 would distribute the film um as well too if they couldn't find um a, a better a better uh, sale. But um, that's part of the hustle is you have to go to the markets, you have to make connections, you have to go and communicate and do your job as a producer. I don't know. Do you have a better way? Walter, that's the only way that I see um, it. No, I mean, uh, to, to expand on what you're saying, actually, there, there, there is a way, Faye, uh, speaking of AFM, and this is actually on their website. I, I'm not making this up. This might be what they tell you to do. Um, go to, um, you know, their, uh, their website. Um, I think it, there's a couple of websites that have a lot of sales agents. Um, one is Sonando.com. One is the film catalog. Yeah. Um, and you know they're 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 tied into these these markets. I think Sonando.com mm-hmm. is the one that's tied into AFM. But anyway, AFM and EFM, yeah, both of them. Yes. Yeah, and they'll have a, a, if you go through all of those companies, and, you know, you'll there's, see. Honestly, there's hundreds. So you, you kind of have to whittle it down by a who are there who are sales agents who sell your type of movie? Yes. Um, or have you know or or have some kind of uh, connection to you? I mean, if you have a connection, all, all the better. Um, but uh, long story short, you know, you you whittle down your potentials to a, a list, and then I mean, honestly, you just have to email all these people. And, you, you know, that's the work. That's the then, hustle. And set You're one hundred percent right. And set up these meetings. You know, I mean, when I I had done this like you know a handful of times. Um, you know, in in digital, well, actually, no, they're still going to do digital meetings. It's only it's pretty a computer. But at the time, you know, I, I would uh, set up all of these meetings, you know, and throw like in 15, 30 minute increments, whatever. And then I would go in and then over the course, and the, it's the second half of the AFM is when you can, uh, you know, filmmakers can do meetings. Most of the first half, it's about a week long. And most yeah, of the first half is buyers. It's all about, the, yep, that's buyers and sellers. And then they open it up on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that's, that's what we would... That was that was when we when they everybody would come through the door, and um, that's when you would start to get the DVDs and and the um, the links from the filmmakers, and um, that's the hustle. That's well, when they, you start to. That's they, the they hustle. Would, they would also on those weekends. I read those on the weekends. They would you will have filmmakers bring in their screenplays and not the film. The, yes, that was dude. That's yeah. That's not the way to do it. Yeah. here's the thing they're not gonna read it right it's not gonna work it's, it's just it, you're it, you're wasting 150 dollars or whatever it is for that day pass mm-hmm. and and they're and they're you, afm is all about looking for completed projects primarily you know um there are there are ways to i think set up and and to get those meetings within the networking but you know don't show up to a distributor's door with a script because it's never going to get read right you know it's never going to happen like that. Yeah, and I would say uh, approaching anyone in this industry about anything, it's it's almost a, the, the closest to the finish line it is, the, the more attractive it is. You know? No, uh, that's, you're right. <laughs> that's that's that, that's that's all facts. You could go you're like, oh, facts. I have this great script, I've done this and this. Or you could walk in, okay, I have three people attached, one's a name actor, I have half the financing. I mean, who, who do you, which one do you want to work on, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like someone asking your buddy, Hey, can you read my script? It's only half done, but I'd like your thoughts. 
but it, you know, it's, it's like, well, why don't you finish it first and then I'll read it. <laughs> no, and that's one, yeah. You know, because at the end of the day, I think when, when people are in those positions is like, you know, you have to remember they, they're working too. And we have to, you know, our, our part of our responsibility is to find completed product to bring to, you know, to bring to our, to our, to our bosses. You know, we have to find stuff that's done and ready to go so that we can, you know, possibly take it to market. You know, the more market ready something is, the better. You know, um, you know, it, it, it's very, I, I don't remember any of the years that I, the four or five years that I've gone, five years that I've gone to AFM, I don't remember one time where someone was able to, to at least with the, who I worked with, was, was to, able to score a deal, you know, from a script right then and there. That just doesn't happen. You know, that's just not the reality. That's it's just not how it works. I think it's what to say. You know, there's other ways to do that. Can I put a black gun? <laughs> uh, talking about completed project, don't forget to watch Lumpia with Vengeance. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you heard about it, right? <laughs> I have yeah, now. Yeah. Daniel, <laughs> Daniel on it, and it, it's done. Uh, they're supposed to be showing it uh, in LA uh, Asian Film Festival, oh. but because of the pandemic, it didn't happen. So uh, I'm not sure if they're going to show it online, but they're announcing it on September 15, the other um, lineup, the other uh, movies that's going to be in the uh, LA Asian Film Festival. Cool. But anyway, uh, it's been in work for almost 10 years, uh, the Lumpia Vengeance. So, uh, it's going to be fun. So uh, watch that name if you haven't uh, heard it about it. I'm sure uh, Edwin Walter heard about it already. Already. So uh, yeah, Lumpia Vengeance by... I'll uh, check it out. Yeah. Let's see it. That's awesome. Uh, it, it, it's cool. It's funny. Oh, know? cool. For all of you, the filmmakers out there, you know, speaking to the community building, uh, Patricio and AJ, who made Lumpia with a Vengeance, they've done the community building right. I mean, if, you know, if you've been in the scene for a little bit, because they, you know, they, they did Lumpia, the first one, 20 years ago. Uh, Patricio, um, you know, he did some music video for Black Eyed Peas. AJ has done post-production on a lot of big TV shows, Mr. Robot. But they're, they're really community-oriented. They have get a lot of volunteers, you know. Uh, you know, they've uh, done, uh, you know, concerts with, uh, you know, music inspired by the film. So they're, they're guys who really awesome. got in touch with the community. So, That's awesome. Uh, when the, the movie does come out, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of like a grounds full of, a, you know, hey, my five friends, by the way, uh, I made this movie, please tell your friends. I mean, they, they have thousands of friends at this point, you yeah. know, so I think uh, it, it's, a, and you know, it's, it's a very Filipino movie. It, it's, you know, it, some movies are more Filipino than others, but you know, and for, for one thing, it's, it's called Lumpio with a Vengeance. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, they, did, uh, get, uh, they do have Danny Trejo for, for a bit part, so they have of at course. least one name in it. You gotta um, get Danny Trejo. So, so yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's really something that the community can get behind. That's so awesome. that, that'll be a great, you know, test of us as, as a community to, to support that. Because it's, it's not, you know, like a, a, a giant, you know, Disney-fied property. It's it's uh, by us for us. I think uh, yeah, I think that's that's totally cool, and I think that's super important too. I mean, at the end of the day, I think that we have to, because what that does is it. I think it inspires others and lets other people know that there's a way, and there's support, and there's an audience, and and I think that's that does nothing but encourage the creative person to to to, to make that film. You know, that's awesome. I can't wait to see that film and yes, check it uh, out. And, yeah, just to add on it, I'm, I'm in the movie, so. <laughs> okay, well, there we go. Now we got to see it now because Abe's in it, you know. The Hollywood sign in the back, you know. 
so I have another question about superhero movies. Would sure. you rather you would you rather market them uh, on the screen on widescreen or 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 on streamline them? I think that with those movies, it's to maximize the, 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 the level of profit. So I think that uh -huh. if you neglect any of the tiers, you're, you're, putting, you're leaving money on the table. If you have an opportunity to market and to, to make money in the theatrical, then you have to do it. And if you can make money on, on all the other aspects of it, you have to fully, I mean, I think it, it would be, a, um, you, you would do a film in Injustice if you're just to focus and, and ignore the theatrical if you could. You have to, you have to go for every avenue of profit. You know, you know, putting the executive hat on, you have to, you have to completely exploit every aspect of the market if you're going to go for it. And that's what those movies are for. You know, like superhero movies are, are a business at the end of the day. You know, and you have to go to every single avenue to maximize the profit, starting with theatrical. I was just thinking of the the reason why Black Panther really, uh, I think, got. A lot of profits is because in the first place they have a, an African American hero. The story is about African Americans. You know, I was I was just you know when we were talking to Dean Devlin at one of the film creative, um, I mean workshops or some, and then he was saying that you know you need to tell your stories because people were saying when are we going to have the Filipino superhero? Because I think in the comics they had one Filipino superhero. Uh, I don't know, sometimes people get tired of superheroes, but I think the reason why Black Panther uh, were followed or seen by so many people, even little children uh, were proud of being called, you know, uh, the king of, of, what's that, Wakanda? So it's because nobody on the screen sees a black hero, a black superhero, although he's, he's been in the comics. So I think it's one arena that many of the Filipino writers should push for, whether it's a woman or a man, because it's now the time that Hollywood is really trying to diversify. So we should take that opportunity to really write them up because there's so many Filipino oh, tales. I, I agree. I, I think part of the reason too is, is I think there's so many reasons I think why that movie was successful. I mean, number one, you know, the, the director, like who, they, every component of the music was done by Kendrick Lamar, you know, the actors, every node was, was, was pitch perfect, you know, and, and the other aspect of it too was, was I think people were ready to see a story like that too as well. And on top of that, they made the that world beautiful you know like wakanda is like a beautiful place that people would want to live and exist in and i think that's part of the escape and, and part of it is they were able to to capture it you know um a world that's better than the one that they're living in now you know and i think that's part of it it, it was just part of that zeitgeist too you know i think that you know in terms of can filipinos do that and will I think it's a matter of time. I just think that someone has to just figure out a way to, to, to find that path because, I, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, the Filipino culture is absolutely beautiful. That's undeniable. You know, you can't, you can't argue with that. You know, the traditions that we have and, 
everything about it is awesome and i think people are starting to realize like how diverse of, of a people that we are within it you know of our history of what we've been through there's so many tales and i think it's just a matter of time before someone finds that path and we see something going on because we're, we're already seeing all those those strides being made now every single day we're seeing things happen yeah it's an interesting progression i mean there was a lot of things going on with black panther i mean in mm-hmm. society, you know, and for it to come out at, at the right time, you know, yeah. with all of the, the the things going on in society, um, you know, so there was there was that moment which was mm-hmm. what 2018, I guess, and then there was yeah. the, the the crazy rich Asians moment, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then you take it a step further to the the parasite moments, and and even the, the farewell moment. These are Asian films in a different language, you know, yes. that American white people, non Asians, are seeing. Yeah. You know? So yeah. It, it's like this, this progression. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think uh, I, I do agree. I think it's, it's kind of like a matter of time. You kind of have to, to, to get the, uh, the, the non-Asians, non-Filipinos, you have to get them used to us, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In yeah. a certain sense. Um, uh, you know, I think it's just about just, I think it starts with the individual. I think the individual has to be proud of who they are and exude that confidence and believe in, in who you are. And I think for a long time, I think a lot of Filipinos weren't doing that. But I think that now we're seeing this confidence and we're seeing more and more of us in the media. So people are feeling more confident about themselves. And that, that affects the stories and, and changes things. And I think that we're seeing that. I think that we're seeing this level of confidence grow within the community because because of the of all the the kind of strides that were made by the previous you know generations i mean people like dean devlin i mean dean devlin is like you know he's always just working just the idea that this man is like creating film and creating content going and flying out to the philippines to make it but he doesn't make an issue of he just works and does it but it's always proud of himself and i think that if we have more and more folks like that again a matter of time before it just becomes the norm you know it's going to take some time but i think we're getting there you know, I want to I want to be optimistic. I think it's happening. I think we're starting to see that, you know, I, maybe it's because I'm so, um, you know, Filipino centric when I go on Instagram, but, you know, with the people that I follow on, on social media, but I see it every single day. I always see someone putting up something new and exciting that is definitely pushing us forward every single day. So I'm ex- excited by that aspect. I, I really believe that we're going to see so much more diversity coming out, especially in Filipinos. I think so. I hope so. Yeah. I'm not- Catherine, do you have an, a question, Catherine? Catherine is on the... Catherine. Hey, Catherine. Mm-hmm. You have a question? Oh, hey. Unmute. Is she on mute? I think she's muted. I can't hear her. I can't hear you. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Well, all I can say is, um, well, I learned a lot. And also, I appreciate the fact that you all love the Filipino culture as much as me, as much 100%. as I do. One thing struck me, though, if you have an, uh, a story that's inside you and it's bursting to come out, I can relate to that because I, I do that in my blog, although I'm not yeah. a movie maker. Right. Yeah, it happens, yeah. That's about it. Uh, if I have a question, I'm going to send a message. Right no, now, but I think, I think you're hitting right. I mean, I think you're hitting the nail right on the head. I think that no matter what it is, it doesn't have to be films. It doesn't have to be that. I think that if it's a vlog or if it's photography, there are so oh, yeah. many places that you can showcase your talent and express yourself. And I think it's important for Filipinos to express themselves or, or anybody. But really for us, I think that a lot, of, a lot of creativity was discouraged by a lot of folks, you know, I think by previous generations because there's such an emphasis of trying to survive and work, you know, in, in, in America. 
But now I think that we're reaping the benefits of all the hard work of the pre- previous generations. And I think it's now our time to, to, to kind of bring it up another level and start to showcase the, the, that aspect yeah. of it. Yeah. We just have to probably find the right audience and who would uh, actually, well, probably another, another important thing is to get somebody to, to sponsor or, yeah. I think that they're out there. I, I believe yeah. that, you know, I think that if we keep on working hard and we keep on moving things forward, which I think that we're doing every single day, I think mm-hmm. that that's, it's a matter of time. You know, I think that there's just too much an emphasis of getting things done quickly. It's not going to work like that. I think it's like a day by day. It's like you got to get one little win every single day. And I think before we know it, it's, it's a tsunami. You know, we, we've got this wave. And I think that we're seeing it. You know, I think because of social media bringing us closer together, we're starting to see other, other people succeed and move forward. And I think that's inspiring for us all. Oh, yeah, I agree. Thank you. And well, well, except for that, unfortunately, Facebook uh, blocked my, my website, my blog. So it's kind of sad, but I'm working on having it translated <laughs> by Facebook. This, Facebook is so powerful these days. It's I know. so annoying. But there's Instagram. There's so many places that you can do it. And I think that, you know, your talent will always, will always go. It might take time because of, of, of that. But I think that no matter what, it's always going to rise to the top. I really I, believe that. I just keep so. on doing it. Yeah, just keep yeah. on. I see your work. I, I see Catherine's work. She's talented. She's a good graphic designer. And, oh, yeah. and, you know, <laughs> she's great. So, like, it's oh, just, you know. Really? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, cool. it's okay. so, <laughs> So it's a process. There's like a tipping point, I think, in yeah. each person's career. You know, I mean, you know, kind of like Dean was talking about, you you have to network with people and pretty soon you're going to know a certain amount of people and your relationships to get to a certain point, but also being creative, your talent level is going to get to a certain point. And then, it, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. You just kind of have to like build it and build it and build it. And then you'll become the 10 year overnight success. <laughs> that's exa- and you're, that's 100% correct. It's, it's always the, the, the overnight success is always the 10 years in the making or something, right? Like it, that's always the cliche. And, and that's, that's it. It's just continue, continue and move forward, move forward, find those little wins every single day. And then before you know it, you're, you're winning the whole thing. So, so my last, my last uh, question yeah. is, uh, okay, my last question is, if you want to be a film distributor, what kind of character should you have? What kind of, you know, should you be patient? Should be be good at marketing? And then what advice you guys would give if you want into, to go into this arena of film distribution? Walter? Oh gosh. Well, I mean, if that—that's a, a one, large right? question. Yeah. Um, when, when I first got into the industry uh, and I discovered film distributors, uh, the first thing I said was, "Oh, this is where jobs are at." <laughs> you know, because I didn't know You're, anything. I'd like. Yes. I knew about production companies. I, I didn't know what a distributor was, but there are these these large these companies, large and small, who actually will pay you money to work in the film industry. <laughs> That's great. You know, I don't have to like, you know, do uh, you know malpractice law or something. Um, so, so that's one thing. I mean, it, it helps to to network when your day job is in the industry as opposed to being a nurse, you know? 
Um, not to knock nurses, you guys make much more money than the rest of us probably. <laughs> but, um, but, but you know, I mean, it, it, it helps when, when your day job is in the industry and then the, the people you talk to on a daily basis are in the industry. You're like, oh, by the way, I'm also a writer. You want to look at my script? Um, uh-huh. So, I, I mean, if you want to get into distribution, uh, and, you know, I, I recommend it for any, any filmmaker, particularly producers, um, because you learn um, every single aspect of uh, the, the business end. Um, I mean, to be an actual distributor, I mean, that, that's difficult because it's, it's very capital intensive. In money. <laughs> you yeah, know? you need to buy the movies. You need the money to buy the movies or understand the idea of how to acquire the films without money. So there is a certain learning curve, I think, that you have to get into. But go ahead and continue, Walter. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Well, oh, no, but... Um, I mean, it's kind of like if you want to do anything. I mean, you have to like get a job in it, learn first. Um, and then if you do, if you are, because there are a lot of sales agents and, and smaller niche distributors, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it requires experience, but not rocket science. You know, yes. um, you're not doing, you know, quantum quantum physics. You just need to do the time and learn and meet the people. Um, and, and, you know, and then if, uh, then when you do kind of learn the ropes, um, then you can, that's when in, in anything, you, you do the apprentice thing for a while. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people, I started out as an assistant actually at, at, a, at a production company, um, uh, John Davis, who was a big producer, and then I became an assistant at the MGM. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of went the assistant route, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, it's kind of like the, the office Hollywood route. I mean, actually, mm-hmm. I didn't even know this when I started. I thought like, oh, you just work on sets. Well, no, you can have like a day job and benefits working in the office in the film industry. Yes. No, you know, I, yeah, 100% agree. <laughs> but, you know, there's there's different routes. And, and I encourage everybody to, to um, learn both aspects because if you're going to be a producer, obviously you have to learn about budgets and set protocol, et cetera. Yeah. But, you know, if you want to learn development and business affairs and, you know, that that's an office job. So, you know, you don't know your, you might not know your temperament yet. You might like this more than this and hate this environment. So I would say do both, um, you know, and get the, get a good, good background in both. I, I agree 100% with Walt, with what Walter is saying. Um, I think that there's many, there's, there's so many different routes to success, to success. And I think, um, you know, I went up that, that, that route. Um, you know, starting as a creative, but then finding out, you know, survival happens. And then you realize like you have certain talents um, in other aspects of the business and you use those, you know, you use those, those aspects to survive. And I think that that's, that's, that's true. I mean, with, with me, um, you know, when I, when I really started to accelerate in terms of understanding the nature of the business was when I took on a job as just a coordinator, because I got to see everything, you know, and then I got to meet everybody too, on top of that, you know, like, that aspect of it so just understanding the nature of the business the meetings you're speaking to that was just an entry entry to, to accelerate how i would conduct myself later on as an executive so and you're right there, there's the temperament how, where, where where do you lie within the industry and then just the learning process of how the business works because there's there's so much stuff that you learn i would say majority of the stuff that i learned came outside of you know learning it in film school it all came from on-hand working working spirits within the industry. So, you know, there, there, there are a lot of jobs out there. You just got to find them. They're there. Uh, and that's actually how, how I found most of my jobs. I, uh, my, my first internship, actually I was randomly calling um, production companies in the mm-hmm. Hollywood Creative Directory, mm-hmm. um, which I don't even know if they have that anymore. But it no, has- that was a big thick book. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And you would look through it and dream about, oh my gosh. But yeah, you're 100%. That's so old school, dude. But it, that then, was the way to do it. 
the, the guy that um, answered the phone, he was like, oh, just send your, your resume to Brian Fischler. Blah, blah. He's like, Brian Fischler, did, did you go to University of Florida? He's like, yeah. I was like, Brian, this is Walter, your fraternity brother. <laughs> so my fraternity but brother. That, but that's what it's about. What you're talking about, though, is, is that what we are talking about earlier. It's, it's do the hustle, do the work. Go through the Hollywood creative directory and just call people because you really, you really are trying to get your foot in the door. And when, when and I and I guarantee you, you're gonna find somebody that's gonna give you a shot. It just keep on going. I mean, if 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 we were able to get our foot through the door, anybody can do it, right? Just find a way. You will. You'll find a way. So we have a. Uh, this ends our. Uh, portion for us asking you questions and moderating. We have some questions from the chat. Hey, everyone, whoever's still in the chat, please, uh, if you have any questions, please type, type them down in the chat here on Zoom. Uh, we're monitoring our Facebook feed as well and as well as Twitter. If you have any questions, post there as well. So the first question I'll ask you, I'm not really sure it's been asked. Um, has How has the pandemic affected? Uh, hold on, that's been asked. Hold I on. think Joe. Well, hold on. Yeah, hold on. that's been answered. Well, yeah, yeah, okay. So I'm gonna add, I had here about virtual. Where did it go? It disappeared. There was a, how would virtual festivals <laughs> affect distribution? Um, affect distribution. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I think from the acquisition standpoint, I, I don't know if it affects it that much because you know, acquisition executive just kind of you know watch you know bits of movies online anyway. Um, but uh, one thing that's missing is kind of the uh, the buzz, you know, when you, when you get something playing at a festival, and then you, you and then you, you get around that environment where people love your movie and you have this great uh, community aspect, um, and then the the buyers and distributors kind of look around like, okay, I, I think there's a, an audience for this, you know. Yeah, um, you're hitting the nail around the head. It's that culture. What, what, what Walter's talking about is the culture that exists within the film festivals that, that are physical. And it's right, because again, I think we'd mentioned earlier that the, um, the buyers is a very small group of people. And once they start talking about what's cool and what they'd seen, because at a festival, all buyers will end up going to the same parties and talking to each other and say, hey, so what'd you guys check out? Did you see this and this and this? And that, that I think is an energy that exists within the, um, the festivals by themselves. It doesn't exist anywhere else but there. So you're right, Walter. I think that that's the main component I think that's missing is the, um, the energy. It's all about energy. It's about the energy of the festival, the buzz, the excitement. That's all gone. I mean, we're, we're kind of in this weird environment now where that doesn't exist anymore because part, part of the, the whole deal at, at festivals for buyers and for sellers was to party. You go to those parties and exactly. to hang out and get drunk <laughs> and bribe them to make your and make them watch your movie. You know? um, um, There's no picture taking and selfie with the stars. That's what they miss. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know the whole bragging about it on social media is gone. So yeah. Uh, so we have a we have another question from the Facebook live feed. Cool. Filipino Americans, what kind of material you think would work here in the U.S. that would resonate with the studios? And if I, I if you, just a knee-jerk reaction, action-oriented stuff, horror stuff, genre, anything genre-related. Look, look at what you know, stuff like Mikhail Red and those guys are doing. They did, they did stuff that were that was appealing genre-wise, right? I think anything that that can that has a universal language, visual language 
will work. That's just my opinion. Because again, I, you know, I, I think that when you have dramas and comedies, they, they're so nuanced and based upon the language and delivery and everything else, that, it, it, that it, there's an extra hurdle to get over to make a, an immediate impact. Whereas in, when you're talking about like horror films or action films, it's, it's right away. It's synergistic. You see the action and you understand right away. You know, um, that's just my opinion. I, I, I think, because that's what I see that, that sells right away, those type of things. So I think like martial arts stuff, action stuff, horror films, those are things that will sell immediately in the market. But again, go back to what's important. Just do the story that you want to do. You know, forget about the market. Just do what you want. You know, I think that's what it's all about at the end of the day. I mean, traditionally, I mean, beyond having a quality film, um, that the three major things that are quote unquote commercial are, you know, star power. I mean, everyone knows who Tom Cruise is. Um, there's, uh, you know, IP. I mean, you know, like Transformers, you don't really need a big star, but everyone knows Transformers. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, back to genre. So if, if you, you can't afford to license Transformers or a big star, you know, uh, the marketing, the marketable thing is, yes. you, know, you know, genre. You know, because yes. uh, that travels, and especially with, with streaming, um, you know, which is goes back to the difference between the theatrical and mm-hmm. online. Um, you know, th- online is, is everywhere. You, you put it out on in Netflix, and they'll put it out in how many hundred different countries. So, you know, and, and from the investment portion, from the, the, the telling your producer how you're going to make your money back portion, um, you know, that uh, universal storyline um universal genre it does play across you know different countries now you know we were constantly saying don't don't not do your comedy or don't not do your drama um but as a producer you have to you have to do math you know you have to like do the numbers in your head okay you know if i want to do this drama it's uh less commercial um but uh but maybe you do get a a, a bigger star to to do it because it's an interesting role yeah used to yeah, I, I think you're getting in. Yeah, you're, you're definitely getting into the nuance of how to work within that framework. If you're going to, if you are going to go that route, and you want to make it marketable, and you're right, a recognizable star within a comedy or a drama is going to obviously do better. You know, um, IP at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, I, I think if you're putting the producer hat on, and 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 you're and you're and you're committed to this comedy or this uh, drama, find those names and talent that you think that will be able to make it easier for the seller to sell in international markets, you know, those parts of it, you know, um, or work within, you know, just try to find the things that you know that are going to be more commercially viable. And I think everybody has a general sense of what that is, you know, I think, I think so. And if you yourself are creative and you're not a business person, then partner up with a business person. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have to be someone established because then, you know, there's this uneven relationship which may or may not benefit you. I mean, not saying Mm -hmm. it can, it can. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, with your contemporaries, the people around you right now, some people are like, oh, you know, I I don't really like being on set. It's a lot of stress. I'm more like the planner and the budgeter and the, the networker then that's the producer, <laughs> you know? No, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's about finding all the, the the strengths and weaknesses and and knowing what works. And I, and I think I think, I think we're, we found like sort of a theme that we've kind of fleshed out is, is the idea that if you're going to be artistic and go and go that pursuit, if you're, and then you're gonna focus on that, definitely have someone that's going to be able to understand the business aspect of it because there needs to be that balance. 
um, you know, because you know, if if you're if you're a filmmaker, you have to have almost this crazed ego that it's going to be the best film ever, and you have to have that. But then you have to, you know, as a producer, you have to be realistic too. You know, when when that when that when the when the movie's over, you have to figure out, okay, so how are we going to sell this now? You know, and I think you're right. You have to have that synergistic relationship of business and commerce together for sure. Well, you don't have to, but I think that your your path to success is a lot quicker that way or faster that way, or your chances are better. And one thing that's great, I think, at, at this moment in time, between you know Fatro, uh, Lapeff, Philam Creative, you know, you can you meet these people because we're we're building these communities yeah. where every you can find somebody that does every little thing, and our, our community is constantly getting mm-hmm. smaller. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's why community is important. Um, 100%. Because you know, naturally, yeah. we're we're comfortable being around each other. We have similar backgrounds, and ultimately, it's similar interests on with our stories and wanting to portray ourselves on screen. So that's kind of like the this this quote unquote movement that we're going through is you know we we all want to express ourselves, but we want to do it together. You know, mm-hmm. Really tough, unforgiving, punishing industry at times. So it's really enjoying this journey with, with all of us together, you know, and it'll it'll help, you know, it's synergy. I agree. I think that that's that's perfectly stated. Okay, so um, I I have a few questions. Maybe people cool. would like to know, um, Dean. Yes. Uh, what type of genre of films would Romero Pictures accept? Um, we 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 mainly focus on uh, on genre pictures and and horror films, you know, because that's kind of the, mainly the brand um, of what we're looking for. Um, that's not to say that we wouldn't look at any other movies or anything that that exists without outside of it, but primarily that's what we're looking for. You know, um, you have to think about the idea that you know um, the Romero brand is is tied to zombies and horror right away in genre pictures, so that's kind of what we're looking for. Um, you know, primarily. Hope that answers your question. Yeah. For all of you young young guys who aren't familiar, you really have to check out Night of the Living Dead. I mean, there's been a million zombie things since, but yeah. I mean, it stands the test of time, and it, it's it's still relevant today. I mean, it, it's kind of amazing how 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 it's kept it's it stayed relevant and yes. present. So. And there's stories within that. Listen to this. Here's the problem. And, and one of the tragedies of that, of, of, of the Romero legacy, is that they never copyrighted the zombie. He never did that. So that's why you have all these different other um, genres made with the dead. Like, you know, The Walking Dead. That was never copyrighted because that wasn't, his, that wasn't what he was thinking about. But that's also the sad aspect. That's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cautionary turn, a lesson that protect your IP because it's all about IP at the end of the day. You know, he made basically it's an open source monster that was made that George, George Romero made, but you know the legacy continues. But yeah, that's just that's a story that I like to share is the importance of taking ownership of your IP. You know, because the zombie is a billion dollar brand, right? At the end of the day, wow. how many zombies <laughs> out there? Yeah, and then just like one slight point on just our community. I mean, I see it a lot in in the black community. Um, it, it's about you know being 
business owners, you know, owning our IP, it's that, that's how we create wealth with, within ourselves, but also within our community. You know, we need to be the owners, the CEOs, the presidents, you know, I, I mean, because a lot of our culture, I, I mean, unfortunately, you know, we're, we're a little bit subservient in, in some weird sense. You know, yeah. so, I mean, I feel like, um, you mm-hmm. know, we need to be, I mean, I'm not saying we all need to be overbearing boss types, but we just need to be smart about our responsibility to, you know, ourselves as, as business people. Um, and, you know, we'd be smart about uh, how we go about the, the business of it. And, you know, and, and that, that comes back to knowing about distribution. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I think... You know, I, I think what we're talking about too is is, is you'd spoken about Facho and all these organizations that exist that didn't exist before. I mean, I, I know for sure that I didn't really have access to things like that. You know, and I think now that we have these these avenues of support, take advantage of them because people are here to help and want people to rise. And I think that that a lot of people had you know have gone through the hard work and a lot of the sacrifice. So it's time for the generation that's coming next to kind of reap those benefits because that's what we all went through. And I think it's important for us to keep on moving it forward, you know, because this is our legacy, you know, as a people, we got to keep on going. Yeah, I think, you know, like uh, we should stop the crowd mentality and just get united and and setting our goals. I was thinking of like Tyler Perry, how he has this huge studio now and even like um, <clears throat> you know she started out what's her name anyway so I mean it's so much like Tyler Perry would really you know you give him a script and he would really look at it that's what I heard you know and and he really would push for you know stories about the blacks you know even if it's like comedy he has this really mass base about his films which is funny but he also really produces very good films that yeah becomes funding you know he really funds and tell their their story well we I, I need think, to I think do that tyler perry too is an example of person of a person that was told no over and over and over again and that your stories um, are not marketable but just had a belief and a vision that it was possible and he made it happen he manifested that because no one ever gave him anything at the end of the day and i think that's the mentality i think that our community needs to take hold of and i think some already doing that now you know is that we have to take ownership of things in that way that we can help the the rest of the community prosper i mean tyler perry is a prime example of someone that that did that you know he's a path and here's a person of color that 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 rose that way and went that way and i think that 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 his hard work we can benefit from that as well too by seeing that example and moving forward as well with that too so yeah very inspiring story with Tyler Perry yeah he he started I mean for people who know his history he started mm-hmm. with all the the chillin circuit he did a lot of mm-hmm. American American plays in the south so we would go mm-hmm. from you know playhouse to playhouse and North the Medea place yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah and mm-hmm. then it just kind of like built this following following and you know mm-hmm. no one watching probably ever heard of it you know in all in the 90s but you know, it's it's about what we've been saying. It's about putting in the work and you know, and building the following. And then you know, eventually somebody noticed, and hey, there's there's a market for this. People yeah. love this guy. Um, so he made yeah, it undeniable. Like what he did was he focused so much on his community, and then the the community was so supportive of him that when it started coming back in terms of like the numbers, it was undeniable. He was sellable. It was marketable. You know, he was making money. And at the end of the day, in, in commerce, that's what it's all about. He made 
he showed that that his market that he was producing to was viable and was vibrant and it had his own economic system working within that framework and if he can do that i think any of us can do that you know um especially now that we know our community he knew his community you know that's that's the thing is he started with his with the people that understood him and i think now is like a time i think within the filipino community is like we have that you know within that framework so the the foundation is there for someone to thrive and i think that people have to recognize it you know rather than following and not to say that that's there's other avenues of success and i think one of them is that there's a foundation of 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 a community here that will support filmmakers and and creative endeavors now you know be it financially you know creatively by donating time or just by supporting and watching you know it's there yeah, someone just has I mean, to figure that out really what what with what we should be doing eventually is creating our own economy within our community and you know when i say our community i'm expanding it to the philippines because there's 4 million of us filipino americans mm-hmm. um, i mean we need to take care of our, our own first of all but then there's like 100 million 110 million in the diaspora so you know there's there's a big there's a lot of opportunities to to cross pollinate um that sort of thing so and you know i think with technology and with the the philippine industry opening it up um there is going to be more you know cross pollination you know the abscbn is wants to do more more philam things um you know there's a lot of more philam um uh producers who want to shoot stuff in the philippines i mean film creative had a, a panel a uh, year and a half yeah. ago shooting in the philippines and it was mm-hmm. probably one of the most well attended things that we had <laughs> so i mean there's there's interest so you know it's just we just have to all keep pushing and, and building our community you know yeah. so we can find- I, i think that's the next bridge i i think that i think you know what i noticed you know from from my aspect of it is there's always like filipino americans filipinos in the philippines and that was it and i think that I think that the bridge has to has to cross and I think I think that I think once we get to that that threshold where we realize that this is all working synergistically together is when I think we'll, we'll really see that renaissance happen and I think it's going to happen soon I think it's going to happen soon I think that because that the, the communities are able to reach each other quicker like via social media there isn't so much distance anymore it feels like we're closer together i think that we're going to see a lot of a lot more projects where people are collaborating more with filipinos from the philippines the filipinos from um you know um from that are living in the states or elsewhere in the western western world i think that that's i think that's where the next trend could be i think you know i think that's where it could be next where these we see an explosion or something like that i hope so Yeah. Can I say something guys? I'm sorry. I just uh I was on a I love to go to another Zoom meeting, my own board of directors, but I had to put that kind of aside cuz your the content here was really good. So oh, anyways, cool, man. Uh, no, yeah. thank you for having me. And just to uh to let you guys know, I mean, there is a project that I've been working on for a few years. So exactly what you're talking about, that's probably going to, you know, it's it'll probably be coming soon, but because of this meeting over here it just kind of re-energized me to go awesome. take a further step and then ramp it up a lot quicker because it's awesome. been like on my plate for so long already it's just now that's cool understanding some of the smaller dynamics which actually lead to the overall product how to get it out you know what avenues we should be taking i mean this has been um super helpful and i can't thank you, you know, guys that that's cool i think that maybe maybe you know we should um 
we'll talk. Have another, have another yep. Zoom, I think, or yep. or have another one where we get more focus on yeah. on helping yeah. people with individual product projects. Mm-hmm. I think that maybe if we have another type of Zoom meeting like this, where we kind of help evaluate and help, like, hey, maybe you should try this or do that, okay. and help maybe kind of elevate things in terms of like, yeah. hey, maybe you might want to look at this part of it or that part of it, you know. And and if someone wants to, and if someone really wants to take that advice, we, you know. There, there's so many people that have experience to share yeah. and I think that that you know working where I work and what I do I, I, I always like to, to help out you know other people uh, other, other Filipinos out if I can it, it just makes me feel better you know it makes it feels because I never got that opportunity and I think a lot of us are in that same position where we kind of felt like we're on our own you know right. and it's not like that anymore you know we should right. we, we gotta help we can help each other out well, definitely. Thanks again, guys. I've got to go. They're going to call on me to talk, but I just wanted to jump back on. Awesome, man. Uh, congratulate, you know, Jason and everything that Hollywood's doing over here. Uh, Faye, hello. Dean, Walter. Right Edwin, on, man. Everybody else, thanks a lot, and I'll definitely be in touch, okay? Take care. Yes. Guys. Thanks, Neil, Great. for coming by. You're welcome. Thanks for coming by, man. <laughs> so are so we supposed cool. to close now, yeah, Edwin? So we're, so we're about to close right now, and uh, I'm just going to make a few things to say first off uh we'd like to thank the philippine american chamber of commerce of hollywood and the los angeles age uh, los angeles philippine international film festival for co-presenting this uh event on zoom and on facebook live if you want to know more information about the philippine american chamber of commerce of hollywood you can go to www.facchollywood.org or you can email us at facc Hollywood at gmail.com. If you want to know more about La Pist, uh, the film festival itself, you can go to uh, www.lapist.com or you can email them at uh, Los Angeles P-I-F-F at gmail.com. Um, uh, we thank you everyone for attending our event. Uh, please uh, tune, in to, tune to the chamber and uh, as well as La Pist. We'll be having more panels like this we have one we're developing, we're currently developing uh, a panel about uh, documentaries. So we'll have documentary right. filmmakers awesome. uh, to be with you all. Uh, and if there's anybody in the audience that would like to join on any panel that we may have in the future, uh, let us know. Contact me or Faye or anyone from or the, either the Gmail, either emails I have sent you or email or just said. Um, so uh, yeah, and that's basically the that's basically it for that information. I would like to thank our guest panelists Dean Fernando and Walter Bohols for being so kind to be with us for the last two hours. Wow, on Wednesday that evening. Was quick. That was two hours. <laughs> I was like, going. <laughs> Dude, I was like just getting started. Just keep it going. <laughs> That'll be for next week or part two or three. <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> got to save the content. <laughs> no, I, I just want to say thank you guys for having me on, and um, it, it's it's great to be able to communicate with other fellow professionals within the industry, and to be able to share anything that I have okay. that's worth anything to the community. And um, I'm glad that we. Uh, I'm glad. That, I, I think this is the first time I've ever met uh, you. Walter and uh, I'm glad that we got to talk and uh, I'm sure I'm sure we're going to talk again. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> For uh, awesome. anyone that has missed this live event or the live stream itself, we record. have recorded it. For your 
personal viewing pleasure. <laughs> pleasure. Uh, it will be up on Facebook. up on Facebook right now, so you can just just rerun it again. And it will be up awesome. on on our YouTube page, uh, the Chambers YouTube page, and and maybe Lapith as well. Uh, we'll have that happen too. Um, yeah. So, yeah. We, yeah. We'd like ahead, to Jay. thank Jason. Jason, who is our tech guy. He did so well. I was having problems <laughs> with my Zoom thing, but <laughs> but he's Thanks, so Jason. good at this. And then, then we really would like to invite you. You know, when we were doing the Lapif festival there were very few documentaries but there's a lot of issues that that needs to be um, dealt with and you know issues like and we are very good documentary we we were uh, we were trying to get um, Ramona Diaz for her documentary a thousand cuts on press freedom in the Philippines but she's not gonna make it so hopefully she makes it for our next panel because documentaries are also important because they tell our stories and that's the real stories thank you thank you very much for coming up for joining us we'll see you next time for our documentary panel everyone have a great day thank keep you cool. keep cool thank you everybody thanks Breathe for everybody to watch everyone it was fun thank you so much <laughs>